This summer's must-read mystery is Meredith Adamo's Not Like Other Girls. A girl's search for her missing classmate digs up dangerous secrets in this unputdownable feminist thriller, perfect for fans of Veronica Mars and A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning and welcome. I'm Ann Hornaday, chief film critic at the Washington Post. And we are thrilled today to have two guests who are famous actor brothers, Ron and Clint Howard. They are here to discuss their delightful new memoir, The Boys. We've enjoyed their work so much over the years. Of course, Ron, the Oscar-winning film director, producer, and actor. Clint, an actor and producer with more than 200 movies and television shows to his credit. Welcome to both of you, and thank you for being here and for sharing this memoir. Thank you. Well, thank and you. I really, I really like that theme, that music that you that you used under those photos. Very, I uh, really appreciated that. Uh, the director in me kicked in, and that's a good cue. Ever the director with a note. I love it. it we're, we're, <laughs> we're all the richer for it. Thank you for sharing that, the feedback. Um, the subtitle to this book is A Memoir of Hollywood and Family, Ron. And I want to start with your family. Tell us about Rance and Gene Howard. Who were they? Well, the family was really the reason I think we decided to 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 take on the project. I don't think either of us were particularly driven to look back, uh, although we also realized we've always been asked this question. What was it like to grow up on television in the movies? What was Hollywood like? How did you navigate it? Um, and, uh, you know, when it when we began to realize as we were preparing the memoriam, memorial for our father, really, that you know, the, the simple answer was that we, we were we were the children of Rance and Gene Howard that afforded us so many um, safety nets and possibilities, and they made so many great decisions. But we also recognized from our vantage point today what a long shot they were. I mean, it really shouldn't have worked uh, on paper. It must have just it terrified their family. In fact, we, we, we now know that it it did. These are things that we didn't consider as kids. They were our parents making decisions. Most we kind of agreed with, some we didn't, you know, the way kids feel about parents. Over the years, we began to realize that they were remarkable. They guided us into a business we continue to love and could flourish in. For me, it was a gift from the beginning. I, I always loved it, but I don't think we understood quite what the love story of Rance and Gene Howard and their dream, their pursuit of this dream really meant to us. I mean, they really changed the course of the family history. And they, again, did it um, just intuitively um, so, so well. Well, and also, I mean, I just we have this kind of image and um, almost a stereotype of the the frustrated actor, which the, both of your parents were very gifted actors. Um, and and your father continued to pursue acting jobs, um, even as he was bringing both of you up. And, um, you know, there, again, there's this kind of, there's a, there's almost like a, a dark myth around sort of the pushy stage parent or, you know, working out their issues or their ambitions through these kids. But, but this, this story subverts that in such a delightful way. Clint, can you describe a little bit about how your father navigated both his his passion for acting and, and parenthood and your own gifts as, as actors and nurturing those. Well, yeah, 
first of all, you know, he he always acted. He always was was wanting to act, always going on auditions, always sort of being in the mix. So, you know, I, what I looked at him as a working actor. Granted, he he didn't have his name above the the, the title, um but listen, you know, he he worked and took care of his family. And I'll tell you one thing. They were unbelievably beautiful stage parents. They were even better parents. I mean, mom and dad must have sat and seen, you know, 500 of my little league baseball games. And and you know, mom and dad were just so driven to be the best parents they could be. Uh, you know, the fact that it spilled over into show business, it, it is miraculous, you know, and, and I'm forever grateful. For it. You know, my, you know, dad grew up on a farm and that was the family business and he helped. Uh, that idea of a kid being able to actually function was, was not something that was alien to him. You said there's a dark myth around the stage parents. Well, it's not really a myth. Uh, you know, sadly, it's 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 all it's it's all too real. I think the reason we wanted to write about our circumstance was because it is kind of an outlier circumstance. And I hey, within it, I think it offers some object lessons, not just about parenting kids who might be performers, but um, you know, parenting in general. So we didn't set out to do that, but as I you know, as as it as it sort of came into into it, the form it's in. I, I, I do feel like it offers that service along with hopefully an interesting look back uh, at the at the at the, uh, at the business and and uh, you know in our particular growing up. Definitely, it is very much as a parent. I, I glean so much wisdom from it, and I wish I had I wish I had had this 15 years earlier um, because they, both your parents just were were terrific uh, stewards of of your family. Um, Ron, you 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 begin the book. Uh, with a fascinating scene, which is your father coaching you before you go in for an audition for your what would be your first movie, The Journey. It's a it's a terrific scene setting with a little, you know, Jerry rigged um, boom mic that he had made right. out of a sandbox pail. And um, but that was it, that was a crucial sort of turning point in terms of just the art of acting and filmmaking. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened that day? Well, yeah. Well, he we did have this kind of uh, unusual opportunity where where I was going to audition for a film and and I had mimicked the dialogue and learned how to do little scenes which just in a living room uh you know was was uh was fun and seemed to amuse mom and dad's pals I I have an early memory of doing this scene from Mr. Roberts with my dad where I would play the Jack Lemmon part and he and he played uh uh, the Henry Fonda part, and I actually remember people laughing and smiling. So I mean, that's a, 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 an early uh, um, um, you know moment of affirmation there. You know, but but th this was suddenly going to be a, a real opportunity to 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 be in a movie. And Dad recognized that all of those distractions could be very problematic, and he wanted me to just concentrate on the other actor, look that person in the eyes. He was already just intuitively teaching me the method. Uh, it was actor studio stuff, even though he never attended. He certainly knew what it was all about, having been, you know, a, 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 you know, or already a professional actor. So that was just, and, you know, and it worked. And when I went on the set and and actually did the the audition, I, I mean, did the screen test. You know, I got the part. I don't remember very much about that. I remember more about our living room and my mom with a cereal box pretending to be a camera, moving around, you know, so that it would anything to distract me. 
uh, and and working through that. But the the greater lesson is that for both Clint and I, he he knew how to help us prepare and set us up to succeed, even in this adult environment. He knew enough about it and the way it worked to recognize, you know, what our capacity could be and make it something that we could succeed at and in fact impress everyone. And we, you know, people used to tell us we made it look easy. Um, I, I hope that I still do that as a director. I hope that my preparation, my passion for what it is that I'm doing, uh, my, re my respect for those I'm working with compels me to be, you know, as prepared as I can be so that I can make it look easy on, on, a, on a film set that I'm, that I'm commanding. Um, that's, you know, I think that I carry so many of those kinds of lessons, you know, uh, with me and I have over the decades. Yeah, it's a terrific sort of, uh, throughout the book, he keeps returning both of you. You get a great sense of that work ethic, that kind of Midwestern Oklahoman work ethic, but then also just always returning you to the meaning of the work, the meaning of what you're doing, the meaning of what you're saying. Um, Clint, did, did you have a similar re, uh, relationship with your dad when it came to you, when you started to act? And I suppose by the time you got into the business, I mean, did it feel to you like this is just what you do? I mean, the whole household is is engaged in this in this creative work. Well, yes, it was. It was more than feeling. I could see it. I watched my brother navigate through, you know, auditioning and getting jobs and then preparing. Listen, dad was always about the preparation. It, you know, the, the working as an actor, it's a process. It's, you know, you develop the character, you understand what the character is trying to do, and then you set about set set about attempting to do the best possible job on that day or on the days that follow to play that character. And dad set up some simple rules. Know where your character's been, know what he would like to do, and 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 like is he going into the is he going into the scene to get ice cream? What is his intentions? And then his long-term plan. I mean, dad dad kept it very simple. But, you know, and maybe I I did have a huge I did have a huge advantage because I, you know, by osmosis and by watching my brother, I sort of gained confidence. Um and and you know, that that carried me well for a long long time. He was always uh yeah, he was always interested in that emotional truth, and he he actually helped change the course of the Andy Griffith Show when I he had the temerity. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, well, it's amazing. Tell us that story. I mean, this is a wonderful, okay. wonderful story from the book. Well, well, when we began, we did the pilot for the Andy Griffith Show. It was the spinoff episode of Danny Thomas, and and it was done in front of an audience, by the way. And uh, I had I had one or two scenes, one fairly lengthy scene, and Dad had prepared me, and it worked. Everybody observed that understood how dad was able to be, to really help the production. So by the time, and they knew he was an actor. They, Andy also connected with him based on their kind of rural, or shared rural uh, backgrounds. But um, when it came time to, to start the series, we would always have a read through on Thursdays where we would read two scripts. And of course I couldn't read at that point. So dad would fill in and read the part. Did that for the first year or two until my reading skills caught up with me with the with the with the process but um andy and would take you know all the actors would get to sort of speak afterwards dad didn't speak in the room in front of everybody but he apparently took andy aside early on 
and said, you know, I see how they're writing the Opie Andy relationship. It's kind of a typical sitcom father-son relationship where the kid is, you know, he's kind of a wisecracker and he can and he seems to be a little smarter than his dad. And his dad's off balance and it's funny to see. And, you know, I, I, I understand that. But the tone of this show seems to be more grounded in reality. Um, couldn't it be just as interesting if, if Opie respected his father? Can't, couldn't you find, you know, humor and comedy and something very relatable in that? And Andy took that away and took it to the writers and it changed the course of the show. He agreed with it. He said, let's base this relationship, this Opie-Andy relationship more on the Ronnie Rance relationship. And I didn't know anything about this at the time. I heard about it 30 some years later when I was doing a reunion TV movie, uh, Return to Mayberry with Andy and everybody. And Andy confided in me then. And I, I, I mentioned it to dad and he said, well, yeah, you know, but he, yeah, I, I pitched that to Andy and they accepted it. So somehow he had this confidence. He was, by the way, pretty fearless, even though he never reached the stardom that he wanted. Um, he carried himself with a lot of confidence, not cockiness. And, you know, they were all, he was always taking a risk. If you're, if you're a freelance actor, you're always out on a limb. You rarely have any allies or support system. You know, you always have to just keep putting yourself out there. And that's, uh, that's another thing that I really believe I inherited from both of them was um, a kind of a, you know, a, a desire to succeed, sure, but a kind of creative instinct that it was okay to take some risks. You didn't have to fear disappointment or even failure. Um, that was, you know, that was a part of this process. And if you were engaged in this for your life, you should take some risks. Henry Fonda seconded that. I did a short-lived television series called The Smith Family with Henry Fonda. And Henry, at that point, Hank was, he didn't really, he wasn't mean at all, but he was rather distant, didn't really um, fraternize very much. But he did with me because he had been on the road for a year with my father and Mr. Roberts, who dad had been in that play. And, um, uh, and he sort of remembered when my mom was pregnant with me and, and so forth. And so, so the, uh, he confided in me that he felt like if you, if this is your life's work. And if you love film, you should be a director. If you love acting, you want to make sure you go to the, to the stage, go to theater every once in a while, uh, just to keep it that fresh and alive. But, but film, that's a director's medium. Um, I showed him short films and things like that. He was very encouraging. But he also said, you know, of course you want to please the audience. And of course you work for a studio. But if you're not finding projects which frighten you, if you're not taking on projects which you think might, might be risky, um, you know, every couple of years, you're, you're not really... You're, you're not really playing to succeed here. You're not really honoring, you know, the process. You're, and, um, and, you know, he, he, it was those words between my dad and, and Hank. I mean, they, they, uh, they, they resonate with me still. You know, let me, let me jump in here real quick. Let me jump in here real quick. You know, that, what, what, that is so true. And the, one, of the, one of the traps that the business has I think for kids and for adults is when the business finds that you do something well, they want you to do it again and again. And, and it's sort of the business is kind of designed to have you play it safe. 
So, I, you know, I've been fortunate as a character actor because my roles have been sort of wide ranging. You know, I played a little alien when I was six years old on Star Trek. I, I, I was pulling around a bear when I was seven or eight years old, for crying out loud. So God sort of gave me an opportunity to sort of take leaps and stuff. But but the business kind I think the business in a way wants you to play it safe. At least that's my opinion. And I, as a director, as I've gone through my, my career, which is, which, you know, I mean, we, we write about that first Roger Corman movie uh, in, in The Boys because that was so pivotal. I mean, this book is really about our childhood and then those last steps kind of into sort of us defining who we were going to be as, 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 as adults. But, you know, in my, in my career, I've, I've, um, you know, I grew up in popular entertainment around it. I understand the cadence of it. I understand the value of it to audiences and to people. And I understand how exciting it can be to tell a story that can reach a large audience. So yes, I've always been interested in that. But, um, but I've also, as a director, always kind of wanted to be like that chameleon character actor. Uh, and uh, so for that reason, I think I've, you know, I've, I've, I've tried a lot of different, you know, kinds of films. And, uh, uh, but that basic truth Going back to Dad, whether it's How the Grinch Stole Christmas or or Willow or Solo or some heightened fantasy or it's something as grounded as Frost Nixon or Rush or Beautiful Mind, I'm always trying to operate from a, a place of sort of honest of emotional truth and relatability. And then and but but the thing that I learned as a kid and continue to understand is that 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 emotional honesty you with a little bit of technique added and a little understanding of the way genres work and the rhythms and and objectives of genres you you can then you can still reach the entertainment value that the genre promises but but you but and still stay aligned with truth which is what makes it for very often very relatable for audiences and, and it allows that sort of human connection that is so well put, and, and that came home to me recently when I revisited Parenthood, which I think might be my favorite of your films, and, and it's a oh, tough race, you. very tough competition. <laughs> but not, not only does it, and the reason I'll be honest, the reason I watched it was in the wake of the new abortion law in Texas, because I've always mm -hmm. admired that film for the way that it contextualized reproductive choice um, as a family decision, and the, and the conversation between Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen is just it's just a wonderful, wonderful moment, and I wanted to revisit it, but then I realized how well that movie holds up just on so many levels, just on pure craft and on that humanism and relatability. Um, and it, 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 made me, it made me wonder, and this is to both of you, Ron and Clint, and like you said, Ron, I mean, you have made such a wonderful career making these, stand, these movies that exist as movies. They're not prequels. They're not, you know, they're not meant to be franchises. That's kind of the the wonderful standalone feature film that succeeds on its own terms, and I wonder if you see do do we have a future for that? Is there a future that would would ten year old you on the Andy Griffith show um, or twelve or fourteen year old you with when that directing bug hits would would you be more inclined today to go to a series? I mean, um, what's the what's the future of these movies you've made these wonderful careers oh. from making? Well, 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 first of all, I, I, and I'd like to get Clint's perspective on this, too, from his vantage point. But first of all, um, the um, I think those lines have blurred to the point where, you know, 10 year old me would have just still wanted to be 
this process that I was beginning to understand and appreciate, this collaborative spirit that I wanted to be at the center of, that I understood, that creative problem solving that I could see from an early age was just a, you know, a, a blast and a great and a great way to grow as a as a as a person, uh, and 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 it creates a kind of bonding, you know, within among the collaborators. So all of those things would have still, I think, steered me in this direction. But I, I'm first of all the 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 sort of movie format is 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 continuing to be a, a vital one and an important one whether they initially screen in theaters or not so the idea of a story that is a sort of a single sitting experience for audiences um you know is still proving to have tremendous uh value and have its place but what has also come along is you know various tones and formats that that are also incredibly viable and very, very sophisticated. Technology has allowed directors to work on a small budget and, uh, and create something like uh, Fleabag, Fleabag, which is as cinematic uh, uh, as, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as, as, as anything, um, and it's just delivered in a, in a different way. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic about it. I, I'm not, I don't cling to a single format. What I care about are the ideas. I care about the ideas. I care about the entertainment value. And when I say entertainment, I mean just sort of the, the capacity to engross, to enrich the audience for the time they've invested in it, however, whatever that enrichment um, means uh, to them. Uh, and um, so for creatives and for audiences, I think it's, a, it's an incredibly exciting time. If you're the if you're the studio or the platform that has to figure out how much to invest in what, it's a headache. Uh, but um, for for those of us who 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 just want to find the best possible format for an idea we're passionate about, I think it's a great time. Clint, what are you seeing out there in that way? Well, listen, storytelling is storytelling whether you're doing it with the, all the technology that you could possibly dream of or whether you're a grandfather sitting your grandson on his knee and telling him a story about some funky baseball player that grew up somewhere. I mean, I, you know, it's storytelling. And I, I've always, always appreciated, as for me as an actor, I like to tug on the audience a little bit. I like to tug on their leg. I like to, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how I landed on that. But I just, I have a little bit of hee-hee man in me. And I, I, I kind of like to zig when others zag, for me personally. <laughs> but just part, that's just part of the storytelling. You know, and I love, I love being part of the storytelling. I, you know, it's, it's fabulous. The only frustration for me as a character actor is, you know, and I, I experienced it by watching Dad. You know, and we wrote about this in The Boys. You know, for an actor, sometimes you just have to sit around and wait for the phone to ring. You can be as creative as all get out, but ultimately you're at the you're at the whim of the business, you know. And, and I just remember so many times, dad waiting for the phone to ring. And mom had a great, she mom was very superstitious. And mom had a great way of getting dad a job. And that is she would break out the paint cans and start a paint project. You know, she would say, Rance, it's time to paint the service porch. And sure enough, I, I swear every time mom would break out the paint cans, dad and mom would start to do a painting project. And sure enough, the phone would ring and dad <laughs> would break out of his losing streak. Dad would get a job and mom would be left 
to painting the service porch by herself, you know. But, and smile, it was, but smiling about it. I knew it would work. I knew it would work. Uh. <laughs> that was one wonderful thing about our parents. They, they didn't lose any of their roots. They, yeah. they you know, they loved who they were. Um, that dad loved who he was. Mom loved who she was. And they, they didn't, they didn't, the business didn't change them at all. No, and nor did it make them, it, nor did it make them bitter. You know, they, even though they weren't, you know, he, he wanted to be Gary Cooper or Gene Autry or something, you know, he, he uh, and, but, and that didn't happen for him. And he admitted that from time to time to me later in his life. But, um, you know, he, he he also knew, and so did mom, that these two, that, you know, they, they coined themselves the sophisticated Hicks. I think mom came up with that one. But the idea that the, they recognized that th their story was a long shot story. It was its own kind of Cinderella story. And just to simply make a living at it, and also to then hand something to their kids that, that they could flourish with, they could grow from, they could be respected for. Um, I think it was incredibly gratifying. And then when they saw that that um, you know a third generation, my daughter Bryce and my and my daughter Paige, when they when they started working in the business, um, you know uh, they you know it meant a lot. Um, uh, and it, it uh, mom had passed by then, but but uh, she she would have just said, I knew it, I knew it all the time. And dad was uh, you know was very proud of them. Oh, unfortunately, we are out of time. This flew by. I wanted to ask you about the Tranya. I wanted to ask <laughs> you about Opie shaming. People will have to read the book and find out all about that. It's a wonderful, wonderful story, again, of, of your careers, of your art form, and, but mostly of your extraordinary parents and what a great job they did. Um, thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure. No, thank you. Yeah, your time. wonderful. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.